0: This is verse 1, chapter 5, the book of Acts. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold did it not remain your own and after it was sold was it not at your disposal why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart you have not lied to man but to God when Ananias heard these words he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard of it The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. This is God's Word, and let's pray. Father in heaven, as with any week, we need your help to understand and obey your Word that you would unlock the mystery of it to to our knowledge, to know what it's supposed to mean, what it's saying to us, and then to have the resolve and the courage to be obedient to what we know. Lord, today, maybe even more so with a passage like this that is controversial, it's troublesome. But, Lord, we believe it to be the truth of your word. So, Lord, we ask these things not only for our benefit, but preeminently for your glory. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Well, this is a strange passage of Scripture. of when reading through the book of Acts, everything seems great until you get to this part. And it's no surprise that the people would respond the way we just read that they responded with, with fear and perhaps with, with some anxiety, and I'm not sure. You be the judge today, but is this the missing component of explosive church growth That people should drop dead at the offering? And then people carry them out and bury them while the service goes on? I've never heard of this happening other than right here. But things are different in the book of Acts. It's a transitional period. And that's not the only place in the Scripture where we see that something was done. That God seemed to carry out the sentence of death that He promised on sin in the Garden of Eden. All are sinners, we're all going to die. So just some of them died sooner after behaving in a way that seemed particularly offensive to God and His holiness. So, what our task is today is to find out what this means and then what it means to us. And the first thing I think would be helpful to think through is, does this sound like the God that we know? Now, that's a trick question. Uh, Same as as the exercise you may have heard before, there's always three versions of you, three versions of me. I'll use myself as an example. There's the person that I think I am. And I, of course, have blind spots. I could run that by the closest person to me on on this earth, one I'm married to, and she could help me understand that (laughs) it's not correct. There's another version of me, and that's The version other people know and to varying degrees based on information you have. Some people may not know my name. They have no idea who I am. And some may know me better than others. And then there is the person that God knows I am. He made me. He has access to my thoughts. He has access to the motives that even confuse me when I do things that surprise myself. You could say the same thing about God. Slightly different, though. There's the God that that you think him to be. That has a lot to do with your understanding of how he has revealed himself in scriptures. David was talking about a moment ago. All we know about God came through this book here. And without him revealing that to us, we wouldn't know what we know. But to not know the word is to not know this God. So whatever we know of him, it's not complete. And then there's what other people know about God. Maybe the ones that don't believe him to be true. That's another thing. And then there is God as he is, regardless of what anyone else thinks him to be, he is. And even what we know in Scripture is only a fraction of of that, what he chooses to reveal to us. So that being true, we are at a loss in some regard by our sin nature and wanting hopelessly kind of knock off God's rough edges and it's usually in an attempt to make him more user friendly and we do it all the time if not for our benefit to others that we want to share him with we would tend to leave parts out of the Bible I'm shocked that Luke even recorded this you'd have to wonder if he consulted with other folks you can write that I mean do you want people to attend church The reason why I said, is this the missing link in explosive church growth? All the church growth methods would say, don't do that. And if you do, cover it up so it's not a scandal. We can't let this out on social media, of course. We want people feeling good. Maybe not necessarily being good, but at least feeling good. Then they'll come back. So... The first and second commandment of the Ten Commandments should give us enough of a head start. No other gods before me. The second, no graven images. A graven image is just a miniature. It's a a replacement made in our likeness, not in His likeness. And that's to take care of the worst of our sin nature. And that is that even though God made us in Him, His image when He created us since then, even in the Garden of Eden, we're trying to recreate Him in our image. That's what the devil said. No, no, I know what he said, but that's not true. Adam and Eve believed it. So, the question today is on whose terms? We're going to take this scripture as we read it. Or do we find enough smart people who want to say, well, it probably doesn't mean exactly the way it sounds. Who are we going to look to for an accurate representation of who God is? At least three things are taught in this passage. These will be our points. Give them to you now. We'll look at them each one at a time. But the first is this passage teaches us about a God who knows your heart. That's said at least twice here. Second of all, a God who does as He pleases. And then third, a God who is to be feared. Now, these these come straight from the text, and we'd look at them if we hadn't read this text and say, what kind of sermon is that? I like the first one. I like that God would know my heart, but to do as He pleases? And to be feared, you would never say that of anyone else and think it a good statement. Well, they do as they please. Now, we're to be applauded if we say that for ourselves in our culture. I'm going to do as I please. Well, good for you. But you, you don't like it when somebody else says it. And then what's this about? What relationship is healthy when fear is part of it? We would think that that's backward, too. Unless, of course, the one who we are to fear is perfect in every way. So if there is fear, it's, it's for a positive reason. Okay, if, uh, I'll, I'll credit you that, but I'll need some explanation. Well, let's look at each of them. A God who knows your heart. So far in the picture of, of, of the church as described in the book of Acts, it's been quite a lovely picture at the end of chapter 2. They had their way of worshiping together. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the Bible. They broke bread in one another's houses. They observed uh, communion. They prayed together. Great picture. Then at the end of chapter 4, same thing. But they were, No one was poor among them. If, if, if someone had enough and someone didn't, they, all, they they shared. It seemed almost too perfect. And I warned you then, hey... This will get off the rails because it's still a church full of sinners, and a church full of sinners is a church full of problems, just like your home's full of sinners, and it's full of problems. Sinners have problems. Churches do, too, and we're reading about the first one here. Uh, The opening word there is the word but. Uh, Maybe in your ESV, it's the word now. It's a transitional Thing That's meant for you to connect it with what happened at the end of chapter 4. The end of chapter 4, we're given an example of how the church looked. And this fellow named Barnabas, whose name meant son of encouragement, sold a piece of land, took the money that he received and gave it to the church. The way that's described is laying it at the apostles' feet. Whether or not that was done literally, I don't know. But it was an example of generosity and from a good spirit and with no strings attached, and it was great. Then you get to the word but, or now, and you have an opposite example of how not to do it. And the difference here, though it was meant to look the same, both sold property, both brought the proceeds to the church, but the difference with Barnabas who gave it all And then Ananias, he brought only a portion. Is that wrong? No. In fact, Peter said it was yours before you sold it. The money was yours after you sold it. But why would you have us to believe that you brought it all when you've only brought some of it? There's deception in there. That was a problem. We'll find that out in a second. But first, I want you to make a note that this sin that we're looking at here that's a A major speed bump in the church's development here is a sin within the church and that's always where a church gets in trouble never once from the day Jesus ascended into heaven and then gave the spirit at Pentecost days later has the world been able to destroy conquer slow down the church Jesus said to Peter very clearly gates of hell won't prevail against My church. It'll roll on. But regularly, routinely, perpetually, the church blows its own foot off with sin in the camp. This story here in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, is the equivalent of the sin of Achan in the Old Testament in Joshua. And everything grinds to a halt until... They get everything squared away. And everybody knows that God's the one in charge who does as he pleases. He knows your heart. Can't lie. So, back to sin of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias' name meant gracious. Sapphira's name meant beautiful. And what they did was neither. Gracious or beautiful. It was the sin of pretending that part was all. All. Their sin was not in refusing to give, they weren't required to give, or only of giving a part, they weren't required to even give the part, but in attempting to make people believe that they had given all when they had only given part. Look at verse 4 again, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So that clears that up as far as, you know, hey, you you broke the rule, you didn't pay your dues. That's, That's not it. The problem had nothing to do with money. The problem had to do with their heart. And that's where all sin comes from. It's a heart problem. All boils down to your heart. And last week, from the end of chapter, or two weeks ago, from the end of chapter four, uh, the example, the study had to do with being generous. Barnabas was generous. This couple was generous. That they gave means means they're generous. But it was more than that. And here, this might help you boil this down better than any other statement. You be the judge. But I thought this was helpful. They wanted to look generous more than be generous. That, that was really the brass tacks of, of their sin. They wanted to look generous more than they wanted to be generous. Being generous was not their priority. They didn't go to great lengths to do that. They they could have been more generous. They wanted to look more generous than they actually were. It's not unlike wanting to look spiritual more than we want to be spiritual. Forget this example. It goes for all of them. How many of us act that way? We want to look more spiritual than we actually actually act spiritual or, or want to be spiritual. There's a way I could illustrate this, but a bunch of you before I even get through it are going to say no fair, but just we'll do it anyway (laughs) and uh, we'll see what happens. How many of you, if you're at home, let's say it's a weekend, it's your day off, it's been a long week and the phone rings and someone on the other end says, I'm going to drop by in a few minutes. How many of you put that phone back in your pocket, put your feet back on the coffee table, continue eating those Cheetos and let all the orange stuff fall while you watch TV and wait for the doorbell to ring? Or how many of you sound the alarm? Kids, get down here. Make sure that bathroom has toilet paper. (laughs) You empty that sink. Shove it all on the dishwasher. I don't care. Well, there's clean stuff in there. Put it in anyway. Hide stuff in the cabinets. Sweep out the garage. Why? Company's coming. We don't want them to see it look this way, right? Now, if you cared more about being that way, it would be that way before the phone call, right? But it's obvious that we all want to look that way. Or Facebook would have been bankrupt (laughs) shortly after it started. Right? Full of pictures of the redone bathroom, but not the one that hasn't been redone. Or your garage when it was cleaned that one day that year, but not the rest of the year. So, we're stuck this way. We keep up appearances. And for the most part, it's, it's not necessarily inherently bad I like hairbrushes and toothbrushes nice clothes you teach your kids before you go out you use that mirror and make sure you're in compliance with what the rest of us think to be presentable but there's a line we'd all agree somewhere where you can go too far you care too much about the way you look you care too much what other people think There's that whole keeping up with the Joneses, which is just misery anyway, to try to spend money you don't have, to buy things you don't need, to impress people you don't even like. But that's what we do. And if you should do well for yourself and overtake those Joneses, you'll quickly find a new set to aim for. It's just human nature. That has no place, spiritually speaking, as far as the Lord's house or His business, because it's not the way He acted. Would you agree that it's, it's not conducive to the work of the Lord to act in a way that's unlike the man who died on the cross for us that we're trying to win people to? That's why it won't work. So we're working on this notion that we serve a God who knows your heart. He knows. He loves us anyway. But we need to be careful. Look at verse 4 again. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. The couple seemingly had decided this beforehand, premeditated as such. And I'm sure it wasn't near as ugly in their mind as it was in the mind of God. What sin ever is is ugly in our mind as it is in the mind of the God who came here to die and take them on himself to pay for them. Being good serves the Lord. Looking good serves ourself. And they had contrived in their hearts to serve themselves rather than God. The only way I know how to describe it, matter-of-factly, a man walked inside the assembly with a lie in his heart Lying is bad, but when people lie to deceive other believers about their relationship with the Lord, they not only destroy their testimony, but they destroy any understanding of how this could be of the Lord. Why is it that a scandal inside of a church especially within its leadership, when a lie has been uncovered that the men you thought were one way were another way? Why does that always absolutely gut the church? Maybe, maybe until that generation is gone and another one who doesn't know any of that comes back. Because you can't get past it. There's a lot we've been lied to by the guy who teaches us the truth. Now, there's no perfect preachers. There's no preachers that don't sin. But again, you've got to understand there's a line somewhere where where it is totally toxic, and that's where it looks like. In this case, you got one guy who's generous. It's a good example. And some other people are looking and say, I like the way that man was recognized. Let's do that too. Now, it could have got complicated between the actual sale. Maybe they didn't realize, hey, this is a taxable event. We're going to lose a big chunk of this. How are we going to cover it? They may have, in any number of ways, tried to justify what they did. But what it amounted to was a smear across this nice-looking photo of the new church. And God wasn't going to let them by with it. Not that way, not at that time. Aren't you glad God doesn't strike every self-righteous sinner who walks into a church having forgotten that his Saturday night didn't match up with his Sunday morning because it was so small of a thing, it doesn't bother them anymore. Yeah, we're glad he doesn't. But that doesn't mean we can't learn something from it here. Um, What happened on that day was that a lie couldn't live in the presence of the Spirit. Either Ananias or the Spirit had to go. The two couldn't live side by side. And by the time you get to verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Is the way it's described. Now, some have said maybe the shock of having the veil uncovered in front of everyone brought on an instant heart attack. Could have happened. Or it could have happened like other things we heard in the Old Testament. Bible doesn't tell us how it happened. We just know it happens. And if it was a coincidence of a heart attack at the stress of being found out to be a liar, in just a second, it's going to happen to his wife, too. It's hard to rule that a coincidence as well. Uh, Not in just a second. We learned that actually it was about three hours later. They were in together with this as far as the conspiracy. They're judged together the same way. Uh, Look at verse 9. Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. So God knew what was going on. How Peter knew about it, I don't think it was supernaturally. I think it would make both sense that something in the transfer of of, of the money... A discrepancy was found. I don't think this guy walked in with a big bag of gold that day. Uh, Maybe he did. We don't do that today. We have police that can escort us, or big armored trucks. I don't know that they had armored camels. (laughs) And I just think there was more to it, but that tragically these folks thought they could make everyone believe one thing when another was what had happened. Let's look at a God who does as He pleases. It seems as if the subject changes by verse 12. There's a paragraph break there, but, but this has to do with, with what we just read because that was a sign or a wonder, a miracle perhaps. But it says in verse 12, many signs and wonders were regularly done. This isn't all is, is what Luke is telling us. Uh, among the people by the hands of the apostles. Gives the location of where they were. So another reference to sign and wonders. We've heard that several times now. And where the what we just read is probably the most troublesome of all of them. This next one is probably the most bizarre. Read on. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats as Peter came by. At least his shadow might fall on some of them. People also gathered from other towns, bringing the sick, those afflicted, unclean spirits, they were healed. So what about this business of Peter's miracle shadow? Well, commentators are kind of divided. Some of them say um, this was an exaggeration. or Those are the ones I want to take less seriously because... They're acting as if the text actually said that's what happened, but that's not what the text says. The text says that there were people who followed Peter, thinking that maybe if his shadow falls on us, we can be healed. People were being healed. Now, does it surprise you that if there's a miracle worker anywhere nearby that he might get mobbed or that people would try superstitious things like touching hems of garments or maybe... We could get, you know, uh, the trash he threw away after he stopped at that restaurant or something. I mean, people will think up weird stuff. So it's good practice never to doubt the accuracy of the account of Scripture by doubting the truth of something that it doesn't even affirm. Scriptures don't affirm that that's what was going on. It only tells us that people were thinking, hey, maybe this would help. And if that's the case, I wouldn't doubt that at all. Miracles, signs, wonders, they had their specific time and purpose in history, and the same was for all the points. The Old Testament, when Moses is taking people out of Egypt and he's trying to broker this deal with Pharaoh, it's quite convenient to be able to do miracles and show this Pharaoh that this God of the Hebrews is no one to trifle with you got fire in the sky and the night and cloud. It also convinced the people to walk through the Red Sea into a desert with no food, and no water on the way to the promised land. So the signs and the wonders were to prove, hey, this God can be trusted. Same for the judges during the conquest of the land, also with Joshua. And then for a period with the prophets who were reminding of people who are forgetting who God is that, hey, would you follow a God who could drop fire out of the sky? That happened. So it was, it was to remind people, hey, he is who he says he is, and he can be trusted. And then by the time you get to Jesus, God's son, miraculous birth, uh, miraculous ability to do supernatural while he's teaching, all to say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You can trust him. He is who he says he is. And then for a brief period, after he goes back into heaven, he gives his apostles this ability, authority over nature, it seems, to validate that they can speak on his behalf and that it's not just a figment of their imagination now that he's gone. And then after this is finished, this is our miracle. Does it mean that God can't do signs and miracles anymore or heal someone? No. He can do whatever he wants. But what he does is what he's chosen to do, what's recorded in Scripture, and that's what we go with. So this is a God who does as he pleases. Even more telling than this, and you almost wonder, if why would Luke write about people dropping dead? Why would he write about a shadow? That sounds weird. But then, if he's been true with history so far... Trust him in verse 13 and 14. None of the rest dared join them. I wouldn't either. People dropping dead in church. These are lost people. But the people held them in high esteem. They have the respect. The church has the respect of the lost world. That didn't last long. We certainly don't have their respect today. Church is full of crazy people that believe an old book. To be literally true. Raise their kids that way. They're not perfect. And some of them truly are crazy. They add stuff to the Bible that's not there. And that's wrong. But look at the next part. More than ever, believers were added to the church. Multitudes of both men and women. So, there's three things there in those two verses. One, none of the lost people wanted anything to do with the church. Number two, the same group of lost people respected the church. And third, at the same time, more than ever, believers are being added to the role. I joked about this being a church growth model. but people are joining a church where God judges their lies. No, no, it's a different place, a different time. Would you feel safer, more comfortable in a church that actually saw church discipline as biblical and would lovingly, as best they could, confront public sin if it's on display and there's no indication of repentance in other words you got a group of christians that are doing their best to look like jesus but one that doesn't care to look like jesus or loves his sin more than he loves his jesus or would you rather be part of a church where hey that's your business you do what you see fit this is our business we'll do what we see fit we'll read a little bit of this stuff to make us feel better on our way out the door but we're going to stay out of each other's business As if the standard wasn't given to us and wasn't expected to be kept. You'll have to answer that question. But at the beginning, it made the church grow. There was safety in that structure. That they actually not only believed that God knew what was going on, but acted like it, and let God do as he pleases Number three, a God who is to be feared. Now, it's twice in here at the end of each argument and then at the end, to wrap it up, great fear came upon the whole church, upon all who heard these things. And then again at the last verse, great fear. I had written down, this is from G. Campbell Morgan, the church pure is the church powerful Go back over her history and see how true that is. It's always been so. Mathematics has no place in the economy of God. Numbers mean nothing. Quality is everything. But the church spirit filled is the church pure. The only power equal to making the church pure is that of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't hang around a lying heart. You'll grieve the Holy Spirit. When God's people were living the way they did right about 400 years before Jesus came, that spirit left that temple and never came back until Jesus walked into the place in the flesh. Okay, the idea of fear and the use of fear, I, I, I don't think in the American Modern culture, there's ever a positive context for the word fear. But I'd like to push back against that. I I know that it's here in Scripture. And I think if we look at it the right way, we'll agree. I think, um, and I would have been in my early 20s, if not 20 or 21 Pleasant Grove, a church in Halifax County, Virginia. I didn't know anything, and, and this church was, was kind enough to let me practice on them every week for about seven years, so I'd be useful to other folks at some point point in some time. But that was the year that uh, 9-11 happened. So the church went from about half full to standing room in one week because we were sensitive to danger and people were reevaluating the world they thought they lived in right so that fear was good for the church good for i think prayer on a graph if you could chart it probably went through the roof covid probably had some of that it happened slower didn't happen all of a sudden one morning with smoke but as we heard things coming from europe it, it got scary Panic set in. You couldn't get what you wanted at the grocery store. It's still messed up. I couldn't get a bag of french fries yesterday. And the food, the food kitty, as we call it, there's enough room on those shelves for my whole family to lay down. I mean, it was like 10 feet of space where french fries live. None of them. There was like two bags of those weird sweet potato french fries on the bottom. And then there was like two bags of uh, generic tater tots. It's not what I wanted. I couldn't get it. Life moves on. You know, it's okay. But there was some fear at the beginning, fear of losing our sense of normalcy, fear of losing our plans, fear of maybe losing our loved ones. There was a situation years back with me in a kayak. You've heard of my kayak before, a fish out of it, but in ignorance, I paddled out into a north wind on a south-facing beach. The further I got offshore, the more that wind picked up. And then there was a very real moment in my head where I realized I'm either going to get blown further or I'll have enough gas in my arms to paddle my way back to that shore. And I got afraid. I had a radio, and I could call the cavalry, and it would be expensive. I'd never live it down. But I learned the truth of, hey, sometimes... Wishing you were on the shore is far more important than wishing you were in a boat. You know, sometimes you're on the shore. Man, if I could just go fishing. But it's nothing like being in the water. Man, boy, I wish I could be on that shore. I never learned a better lesson on how to respect that part of God's created earth than when I was absolutely scared to death. I'd gotten into trouble. That's good. And then probably the last time I remember having, you know, when, when fear kind of grips your your body too, was sitting in a room at Duke and listening to a doctor tell us what they found. It's my mother. Now, in time, we learned we could handle some of those things differently, and God has been wonderfully gracious, but... That was a day where everything changes again. When you realize you've got a lot less time than you thought or assumed that you had. And even moments become precious. I think God grows you in those moments. I think you inch up a little closer to him. Now, you could go the other way. But I think if he's yours and you're his... It draws you closer. Fear is a good thing. To know he's in charge. He calls the shots. He numbers our days. He died on the cross to save your soul. He governs your past, your present, your future. You'll live with him forever if you trust him as your Lord and Savior. It's best he's in charge, and it's better if we're afraid to take that from him. Don't take being in charge from him. You should be afraid of that. And when that is in place, it's a healthy fear. And it'll keep us from doing things like thinking we're such a big-time operator that we can lie to the rest of the church. You're lying to his, brother, his children, your brothers and sisters. That doesn't work. If someone lied to your family, I'll just put it, I'll use myself. If, if someone in this lovely body of believers lied to one of my children... Would you be surprised if I kind of acted like you had lied to me? No. That's the way you would do it, right? What if I lied to one of your kids? You'd think I'd lied to you. You can't have any trust when you're lying to one another. Uh, Relationships don't flourish when we hire a grudge to get even on something we didn't like. God doesn't like it when the Family's torn up. And sometimes, in some ways, when some lines are crossed, he just takes care of it. We got uh, with communion last week, Paul pleading with these people, hey, don't do this unworthily. There are people who are sick. There are people who are gone because they thought this was a joke. Now, I'm very glad this is God's business Anytime any preacher tries to tell you what God's going to do to you because what you... Let the scriptures tell you what God's going to do with you if you disobey God. He he doesn't give prophets the ability to foretell the future on how you're going to get zapped. But if God does want to do some zapping, He can do it and be righteous in doing so. None of us deserve salvation. And sometimes when our lives don't measure up, He has ways of Jerking that chain, that's way mom and dad used to call it, jerk your chain. Or jerk a knot in you, or kick you into next week, or the middle of next week, knock you into next week. Affectionate terms family uses to (laughs) correct their children. This is from the same one that described himself to his disciples as meek and lowly, gentle and lowly. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's the same guy. Don't cross my standard because I can't break it. And then rather than zapping every last one of us, like Ananias and Sapphira, he climbed on a cross and took that death for us. All of this fits into perspective if we look at it correctly. Now, wisest man in all the world wrote this, it says the scriptures: "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to be a wise old man? Start with a healthy dose of the fear of God. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, and their lot is their own. But to conclude, do we believe that God knows our hearts? Do we believe that God does as he pleases, even to break the laws of nature? And if we have a problem with God doing miracles, then we have a problem with God creating a world out of nothing. I mean, the whole thing kind of falls apart if you don't believe that he can do something out of the ordinary whenever he wants. But do we believe that God is to be feared? And in the midst of that fear of crossing his holiness knowing that he loves us enough to die in our place. He cannot do evil, and he cannot mistreat his creation. He cannot deal with them unfairly. He cannot be cruel, but he can be righteous and holy. And then if we believe that God knows our hearts, does as he pleases, and is to be feared... Do we act like it? And with that, let's bow in prayer because we need it. Father in heaven, give us the strength to know these things, the understanding to see them in conceptual form. But Lord, give us the, give us the thing we don't have. Give us the ability to obey. Give us the ability to trust you. Instead of ourselves, give us the ability to to want to to be good rather than look good, to be generous rather than look generous, to be faithful, even though we might have the whole world snowed as long as we look faithful. Lord make us like you. We thank you for this church service, a place to gather and to sing and to look at your word, to let it shape and mold us. And, Lord, we thank you above all for an accurate, truthful, honest record. Your word. Tell us the truth so that we can live our lives accordingly. And that for your glory. I ask all this in your name. Amen.